Well, today we are continuing our series on, on evangelism, New Testament methodology. And we're doing so for the purpose of equipping members of the incredible body of Christ to share the gospel accurately, anywhere, anytime, with anyone in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've already done four messages Next week, Lord willing, we will sort of summarize everything and bring it to a personal and a practical application. But today's message, we've entitled Personal Evangelism as Modeled by the Master. I don't know if you've done any real personal Bible study in the person of Jesus Christ. If you haven't, please do that. It will bless your soul. It's a fantastic story. Jesus is the greatest person ever to live. Isn't that right? He's a measure of all men. And as you go into the New Testament, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, claimed by this wonderful Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, it blesses your heart and your soul. But you will see that he models everything perfect. We're going through a course now in Talios Theological Training Institute as an introduction to apologetics, critical. I'm going through the debates of Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ is the greatest debater that ever lived? He never, never lost. And he uses all the principles that we've just come up with. Do a study if you'll see it. And you'll see some of those uh, principles exhibited in our study today. I want you to turn, please, in your Bibles to John chapter 4. This will be our text. 26 verses. We'll not be able to finish the entire passage because we're going to be looking at it in detail. This will just be the first part of this uh, uh, study of this passage. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. I want you to turn to it, please. In verses 1 through 3, we have what we call the occasion, the setting for what is happening in this particular debate or interview or episode that he has with this woman that we will be discussing in a moment. And so the chapter opens with these words, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Now, the three observations of the text. In Bible study, one of the things you need to do before you can understand what the text means, you must understand what the text says, using the words in the same manner, in the same way that the original author used those words. And the setting, the, what brought it about? Why were these things happening? And these are just a couple of notations here, observations. The first was as Jesus was gaining popularity. He is now becoming more popular than John. John was very popular. You see, he's like the Beatles coming after. Who was before him? You know who's before the Beatles? No? Elvis Presley. Figured somebody would know that. He was gaining popularity now. And that, uh, he realized that himself, that he was gaining popularity. Notice one of the notations that the author sees is important. He says, Jesus himself did not baptize. Only his disciples would... But yet, he was gaining popularity. That means it wasn't what he was doing at that particular time, but what he was saying. 
his words. And we'll see why in a moment. Jesus did not baptize. Thirdly, we have here a notation that he moved away. Now, why did he move away? I believe as you go through the story and the rest of the gospel, he did it to avoid confrontation with his enemies at this time. It wasn't time to confront his enemies. So he moved out of the picture. You see, that's a wise man. That's a person who knows that he chooses the time and he debates with anyone. You'd find Jesus is a master of framing questions. And he framed and asked a question. He had a purpose for asking it the way he did. And he timed it perfectly. Let's look at the text then. We have, first of all, in verse 4, what I call the divine, I'm sorry, um, yeah, the divine compulsion. The divine compulsion. There's a tremendous truth concerning evangelism that is brought out in this text that is mentioned in verse 4. Notice what it says. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the King James Version, if you have it, says what? He must, he must pass through Samaria. Now, there are two ways of looking at this uh, statement, that he must pass through. First is, would we have the geographical uh, meaning? And that is simply, it has to do with logistics. Take a look at this map here. Jesus was in Samaria. Jesus was in Judea. That's down here. He wanted to go into Galilee. That's up there. That's a straight line. That was a direct highway. He could get on that highway. And he can just go straight up to Galilee. But now it says he must pass through Samaria. Samaria is right in the middle. Samaria was a problematic place for the Jewish people. And so no Jew went direct. No one took the highway from Judea to Samaria. No one did. But instead, they would cross over the Sea of Galilee. They'd go up, and then they'd go across. I call that the Samaria detour. Now why? Why didn't the Jews go through Samaria. Well, Samaria was the place where the Samaritans lived. That's logical, isn't it? Who were the Samaritans? They were half-breeds like myself. They were half-breeds like myself. And the Jewish people looked down upon them as pagans, as dogs, as nothing. They were unclean. And so rather than going through Samaria, which, and just take the direct route, they would go all around here just to avoid that. Now, before you judge those Jewish people, think about your own life, your own biases and prejudice. You don't go a lot of places right now. You avoid going certain places, certain where. Why? Just because of your prejudice, just because of your racial biases or your class prejudice. You don't go. I remember before... I lived with some people, or nearby some people. This was way back in the 50s when, the, when there's a lot of problems here racially in the Bahamas. And you know what the watchword was to this family? Don't go over the hill. That's right. How many of you all remember that? That's right. And, and 
upright Bahamians. They were just like these hypocritical Jewish people. Avoiding these people because how they looked upon them. And so Jesus now had to go, the Bible says, to Samaria. Now, was that a geographical must? No, he could have taken another route. And that's why we believe we have to see here a divine must. Theological must. You see, God the Spirit has prepared the heart of a sinner to receive the good news. Now he's preparing the heart of the proclaimer of that good news also. Jesus must go to Samaria because the soil of the heart of a sinner has been prepared by God and the reaping is ready. Now he is touching the heart of the reaper. That's the man who must go. Here's an important principle of evangelism as modeled by the master in this episode. We must be sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit's guiding in leading you to speak to a spiritually prepared heart for Jesus Christ. You see, this is the reason why we've got to watch out how we buttonhole, I'm talking to Christians now, anyone about accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You might be ready, but not the person that you are buttonholing. You understand what I'm saying? And so you put up a conflict rather than a receptive heart. You have to be sensitive God speaking to you to speak to someone else because God is the one who is the word, the seed of the word. And so Jesus Christ now, I believe, is inwardly responding to the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now we notice a little remark here in verses 5 and 6. It says, and so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus being reared from his journey. Now that's Jesus. The greatest man, the greatest person ever lived. The son of God. The one who was incarnated. Here's the one who spilled the mighty seas. He's the one who walked. Now he says, he was reared from his journey. And he was sitting by the well. And it was about... And so when we read now his dialogue, his interaction with this woman, don't say, man, that's Jesus. I can't do what he did. No, no, no. He was tired. He, got, he was a man. He was, to me, that's, that's so comforting. God gives us these little notes of comfort. He was just like you, a human being. But if you are willing to be, but now we begin the evangelistic discourse, is what I call it. It goes from chapter seven, verse 7 to the end of the book, or verse 26 anyway. Notice that this dialogue is initiated by Jesus. He is the one who takes the initiative. We must be alert and ready to take the initiative. He initiates the gospel. But he didn't get up there and the woman say, are you saved? He didn't start like that. He didn't start like that. Notice what the scripture says. There came a woman of Samaria to draw Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone away into the... We're going to see how important this statement is later on. When Jesus is now, this verse 
was packed with social and religious implications. First of all, she was a woman. So you say, what? She's a woman, she's a woman. Yeah, but you see, a person like Jesus who was a Jew and seen directly like this. Now we're going to see another point of real, but first of all, that's important to note. She, he was not supposed to come. In fact, the Jewish people used to think that's why their prayer every day was what? God, I thank you for not making me a woman. That was the prayer of the Jewish man. So they didn't have such a high regard for a woman. But here is Jesus known to be a teacher. He initiates conversation with this woman. But not only that, she was a Samaritan. Despised. Now, I could use some illustrations here, but some of you will. I'm not going to talk any poll here. But think about it. There's some individual that you wouldn't talk about or talk to simply because of their nationality, their background. Especially to talk about share the gospel. I won't share the gospel with somebody who looks just like me. Same level on economy as far as my economics is concerned. I want to talk to somebody just like me. They look at me to see that she was guilty of sexual immorality. Some call her prostitute. Because she was an adulterous woman. Jesus knew that. But Jesus talked to this sinful woman. Now all of these things were taboo for the Jewish people. All of them. We have a lot of taboos. Reason why we don't share the gospel? I see pride. That's one taboo. I'm afraid. I don't know how. Well, I'm going in that neighborhood. So dangerous. One of the greatest taboos evangelicals. That ain't my job. And so here's the second principle modeled by the master in this passage. You don't allow what we call today political correctness to prevent you. There's no prejudice, no bias, there's no reason, there's nothing for you to look at and say that's the reason why. I know that we have, for instance, today in, in, in counseling sessions. If Jesus was here, he probably wouldn't be allowed Woman counsels a woman, man counsels a man. Isn't that right? Jesus breaks that. He breaks it. Don't allow political correctness to prevent you from sharing the gospel. And look at the woman's startled response in verse. Uh, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with she, she acknowledged the uniqueness of the situation. She knew that Jesus was stepping outside of the boundaries of the Jewish people. And he was doing something that no one else had ever done. She acknowledged the uniqueness of the situation. I believe that that's one of the reasons why Jesus spoke to this woman. For that very reason. You're important to God. And God has a concern. And he is searching. And we'll see the reason what he, we'll see in a moment what he is searching for. And look at the response of Jesus in verse 10. And this is what you'll see throughout this passage. Jesus speaks, the woman responds. The woman speaks, Jesus responds. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Man, this thing is filled with techniques of debating. Jesus is putting little words here that you've got to ask about. You've got to question. 
What do you mean by that? Why is he sitting in this well? Because it belonged to Jacob. And you see that Jacob's fucking old in Jacob. And not only that, this well is a spring. Water comes from a spring. You can see later how Jesus ties the spring and the living waters. And so Jesus is setting the stage. And there's so many spiritual and theological lessons here. Have to do with race, has to do with social things. Jesus is going against every racial prejudice that the Jewish and the Samaritans knew. He's going against every social rule that they that they practice. Every one of them. Look at your own life today. Notice the response of the woman in verses eleven and twelve. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father, who? Jacob. Are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself. Now, one of the amazing things here, you're seeing that this woman, who many people look down, and by the way, she was coming at an hour of the time that none of the other decent women came. She was coming at a time that when only the adulterous prostitutes and all of that came to this well. And Jesus knew that. But you wouldn't even think of going into a bar to share the gospel. You see, Jesus has set the stage now, and he has set it in such a way that she has to ask questions. And she, the more questions she asks, the more she's going to reveal of her background. Now, you're going to see the very religious person. You'll see that in a moment. She reveals that she is, at the very least, a religious person. She knew her Jewish history, a Jewish background. She knew her Jewish theology. She knew everything. And that means Jesus had to be ready to give a reason. Because Jesus was facing a woman who knew all the religious stuff, all of the Jewish history. And so Jesus now had to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is with was in him. How many of you are ready to defend your faith? That's what you're going to see here is the stage is being set up to defend or to deal with uh, who has the right way to worship God? Who are the true worshipers? Notice Jesus' response, verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him, now notice this, becomes in him a well of water. Now here's the fourth principle then modeled by the master. Keep the conversation talking with an unsaved person, interesting. And be you sure that you know what it is you are talking about? Know your faith. Too many Christians don't know what they believe. All they do is pile off and mouth off something they heard in the pulpit or something they heard in the Sunday school, but they have no basis being able to defend it themselves. None whatsoever. That's the only way you can keep a conversation interesting. Being the one to be able to lead it. And you know. Look at the response of the woman in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. You see, Jesus has created in her now. They are talking about water, physical water. Talking about physical water. And so he prepares her to face a real need. This thirst for this water that will quench thirst forever. He's giving a desire now for this spiritual water. 
He probably had no other name. Notice the response of Jesus then again. Verse 16, he says, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And Jesus could have turned around like probably all of us would have done and said, man, I mean, not man. Say, woman, you shacking up. I want you to see how Jesus into acknowledging her sin without being judgmental, without being condemning, without saying, I don't want you. He acknowledges that she's a sinner. Some of us as Christians can't do that. We can't talk to her in a mental fashion. See, to me, to me, this is one of the major criticisms that I have against those. So he moves her now to her deepest level of need in a loving way, without judgment or condemnation. What is that need? Her cleansing. Then he causes her to expose that she had to come to the point. But the major point is, how do you... You sinner! Repent now or you're going to hell! You sometimes say those words as though... Two more principles here, modeled by the master. First, number five, you need to get the sinner to acknowledge sin. You see, it's no use for us to say that Jesus died for the world. Or just Jesus died. That's not sufficient. You've got the person, you've got to have the person to admit, to acknowledge that Jesus died. He can believe that Jesus died all they like. That will not Jesus came to save the sinner. He didn't came, he didn't come to save the person who thinks he's righteous. And until you acknowledge that you're a sinner for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, you will never have a need for the water. And my friends, you know, really, you don't have to go to the Bible to find out. And anyone who says that he has no sin, the Bible says you're a liar. And the truth is, remember this. God prepares the heart. Look at now the response of the woman. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say, that is the Jews, the other Jews now, in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So see, what has been put up together here now is the right way to approach God. Get into the God. And we have people with competing philosophies today and theology. How do you get to God? People say there's all ways. There's not only one way to God. There's all kinds of ways you can get to God. No, 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 no. From a biblical perspective, from a Christian perspective, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. One mediator between God and man, Jesus is going to establish but this is, this is the big debate here. Who has the right way of worship? Entrance into the presence of God. Now you see the woman's focus now is entirely on sin. And that is one of the things that we are evangelizing all the time. Evangelize is not this little tricky stuff. You, you do this little gadget. You do this little trick or you do this little thing. You hand out a track and then you're evangelizing. But until you do something like that, you're not evangelizing. Mm-mm. We saw last week that our way of life should be a lifestyle of evangelism, because evangelism, Paul brings out in Romans chapter 15. And so even as worship is a way of life, and evangelism is a way of worshiping God, notice the response of Jesus in verse 24, 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Isn't that an amazing thing to tell a person? You going to church? You don't know why you're going? You worshiping God, woman, religious. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. Now, Jesus being a little, he's saying, really, we're the ones who have the right way. And in a sense, that's true. The oracles of God and everything were given to the Jews. But you see, Jesus goes on now to show her the error of her present faith. And that's something we have to learn to do without rejecting others, without causing them to be the Word of God. Notice what he says. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Notice, the Father seeks. Jesus must go to Samaria. Why? Because the Father is seeking true worshipers. And he knew that there was a potential true worshiper at the time. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I want you to see that. I want you to see. I want you to notice the amazing truth revealed here. And we don't see this so often. The major reason why we must evangelize is to find genuine worshipers of God. The bottom line reason for evangelizing. To find genuine worshipers of God. Because that's whom God is looking for. And we are the ones. True worshipers. Somebody to put on a church robe, evangelistic belt, another knot. Yeah, man, I got somebody else to write down their name. I got somebody to hold their hand. I got somebody else to say the prayer. He's looking for worshipers. That's why Jesus said, what he called the Great Commission. He says, as you are going into the world, make what? You could say that you are a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, all you like, and if all you're doing is coming out of the church and giving your money and doing all those things, but you are not a genuine worshiper, you're not a genuine Christian. Sorry. Notice what the woman says in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. See, this woman knew her Bible, as we would say today. She knew her faith. Many of you here now, have you had a Always witness come to your door. You let that person in. Next week, you probably did your witness. Because they know their faith. Many of us, we as many of you as believers, this woman knew her faith. But Jesus knew the reason for the hope that was within him, was able to share the faith in a loving, clear, accurate way. He was able to speak the way he was to speak. He was able to speak with boldness. He was able to make it clear. And that's what we need to learn. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all her heart. I, I is the one. Isn't that amazing? I am the one that you're looking forward to come. I am the one. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one who can tell you all things. That's why she, we'll see next time, she ran to the village. You know what she said? Here's a man. In other words, you'll see that this woman came to So here's the seventh principle model by the master. Divine revelation. Jesus gives a divine revelation. Saying, I am the one that you're looking forward to. But here is the truth here. We plan to see God alone. We cannot buttonhole anyone and hold them down and pray them into heaven. I'm not, you're not going to leave here. Tell you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. I can lock the door. You're not going to go anywhere. Listen to this very carefully. We're the ones 
plows of the field. We're the ones who water and pour. Notice John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the land. And I think that's what's happening at the west. Notice again. It says in Matthew, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Remember the question Jesus said, who are people saying that I am? You, John, you're the prophet, you're this, you're that, you're that person. He says, okay, who's the son of the living God? Look carefully now. There's no, you can share the word, but it's the spirit of God. And when that comes, that's a moment of illumination. And that person says, you didn't reveal this to me. Friends, God is seeking those who believe that you're a sinner, that Jesus, that God raised him from the dead and Take a few moments if God has spoken to you. First, as a believer, perhaps God has spoken to you concerning the way and the manner in which Paul's impression that evangelism is only giving out signs. If you've not yet placed faith in Jesus Christ, I ask you. Now, as we close out, I ask you, if you want just a word of prayer before I close, just raise your hand and put it right back down if you didn't hear at all as a result of this message. God has spoken to you. Thank you. Anyone else? Either to become a Christian, Father, you know the hearts of each individual, those who've indicated, either by raising a hand or within their own heart. Share with them, we pray, be faithful witnesses of Jesus and all of God's people. Say.